Good morning. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul and Jolene. And today we're talking about what is your GM style? GM style. Sounds good. He just randomly gives me topics. So Just randomly <laughs> off the top of my head. What is GM style, Jolene? Well, GMing style is the way that you GM. <laughs> so I came up with, well, with Saul's help, of course. I came up with one, two, three, five different styles. Wow. And... The first one, I'll read them off to you, and then you can start. You can go from there. The first one is the tactician GM. Okay. And that would be games like that have lots of rules and like D and D for combat simulation and stuff like that. Okay. Or Pathfinder makes sense. And then there's the storyteller GM. Oh yeah. And I am told that <laughs> that kind of goes with vampire and world of darkness and all kinds of other games now because storytelling is really important to people now versus simulated combat um then there's the immersed gm or this one person called him the orator the artur artur the you know the person that's totally into the they know forgotten realms like it's the back of their hand oh i see yeah or they are totally into the genre and know everything backwards and forwards right or the they've made up their world and they're going to tell you all about it yeah okay and then there's the the sandbox gm that says okay we're here what are we doing today (laughs) which would drive me completely nuts by the way what you got to give me a mission people and then there is the give me an occupation I wanted to go with the adversarial GM, but Saul told me that might make some adversarial GMs upset. They don't exist. So, and they might kill me. So, my character, not me, actually. So, I went with the OSR GM. Oh, the old school. Adversarial GMs are now OSR GMs. Oh, they just have made people upset. I'm sure they're not upset. They know that I don't mean it like that. It's just a style that you like the old kind of rules. And my friend Michael is always saying that he doesn't, what's it called? He doesn't uh, coddle the players. So I always think of old school GMs like that, right? Yeah. Of course, it's not true. Everybody coddles their players one way or another. Uh, I don't know about that. Some people are real brutal. Well, I haven't played in those games. (laughs) Well, that's not true. Some people kill my character without any problem. Yes, exactly. I'm thinking of Shannon. As that's the first person that came to mind when. But you were I don't think about of him as an old school kind of GM. I he's kind of like w- he's w- a, a realistic GM, right? Well, you know how Mike used the term "let the what's fall where they may" or let whatever. The, let the cards, the dice, the knives, the dice, the dice fall where they may or whatever. And I think Shannon is like that. He he doesn't. He's not gonna fudge the dice to save your character. And it's just the way that the game goes. And if your character dies, the character dies. Well, not only that, but if your character dies, then it's more, it, it brings out more, uh, what do you want, gravitas to the situation. That's true. Yeah. If it, as long as it's not in the first five minutes of the game, I'm totally cool. Well, then you better have a second character because <laughs> you still got four hours or five hours right. to go. So I wasn't thinking about those. I, I was thinking more of a spectrum, but I like your, yours is definitely more. Well, they all fall on your spectrum somewhere. Well, that might, that's probably true. So I was thinking much along, along your lines about the simulationist, the miniature tactile-based type of RPGs that were first, the first RPGs. And on the other side, you have the more storytelling games. And in between, and in between, you have everything you said. What is interesting to me is that you're right. I think there are these types of GMs and there's, 
and then I it's also this spectrum that almost everybody falls under under but no nobody's like usually like all one or all the other you know we we go in and out of different types of gming uh styles as, as a gm and it changes as as we grow older or as as you mature as mature a player or, or a gm I wouldn't, even, I wouldn't even say that 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 seems condescending but i'm thinking just on your mood right sometimes you don't feel like counting every single square and you want to be a little bit more loosey-goosey with movement and stuff like that. And you don't want to deal with the tactical stuff and you just want to tell a story. And other times you may not, you may not feel, or you feel that the tactical thing is important. I think um, what you're saying is that you don't want to say as the GM grows older, but what I actually meant by that was you learn how to be a GM by the people that you play with. Well, there's that too. So yes. as you grow as a player is what I meant. Right. And well, you think your GMing style is going to change because you're going to figure out that maybe you want don't want to do it exactly the way your dad did it or your mom did it or <laughs> or your your whoever the your first GM is. Yeah. So you're right. And I think you do change. Your tastes change no matter what as you, not as you age, but just through I'm, I love a good, uh, what is it, a good tactical game every once in a while. In fact, we were, just the other day, we played Flames of Freedom, which is based on Zweilander, Zweilander, whatever it is, which is based on Warhammer Fantasy, third edition, I believe. And it is kind of a tactical game, right? You know, there's uh, action points. It wasn't tactical when I played it. No, because I ran it and I, I omitted all that tactical stuff out because it was uh, we it was a one shot and I thought I don't want to burden the players with all these rules at the very beginning of the game and I just run it you know what are you gonna do and then you just did your actions there was no there was no action point economy and I didn't I, that's the way I felt at the time that was a week ago and then Bay he volunteered to run Flames of Freedom again and he goes but I want to use the action points and do the, the tactical stuff i'm like okay i would gladly play in that i just didn't want to run it <laughs> which is funny to me because bay seems to me like this guy who who likes a, a more lighter game but then again he plays a lot of board games so he loves that tactical maneuvering and stuff like that war game stuff because i plays think he likes games. to know how the rules work more than anything well yeah, that's true too that was okay i didn't get to play yesterday because i had uh, it's almost Christmas, so I had uh, Santa stuff to do. <laughs> but but fun. I saw the guys were all having fun, and and I know Felipe and Mike and Morgan played in that. I'm not sure how much fun Morgan had, because I don't know how how he likes tactician stuff like that. Yeah, he he seems to be at a stage where he doesn't want to deal with all these crunchy numbers, because that was he goes well. It's kind of it's kind of too crunchy, right? And I know Felipe and Mike they like crunchy. Sometimes they like crunchy way too much, but that's okay. Well, yeah, that's weird because you're right. We all, me, Mike, and my brother, obviously all played together since we were, since I was in junior high. So we've been playing a long time. And when we get together, sometimes we do fall into those like, oh, we want to play these old games, you know, the old style. And it's fine. And we, we do have a lot of fun. And we, you know, we played a lot of, well, we made it just play D&D. We didn't we really didn't trick far from D&D. We played AD&D up until 3rd edition came out. And other than that, we never tried. We you never played tried. Traveler we, and stuff yes, like that. Every once in a while. Yeah. But we didn't venture very far away from D&D. And Space Opera. Well, that was me because I really wanted to play uh, a Star Wars light game. 
and I didn't know about Star Wars D D six Star Wars, and I was like, now I'm like looking at it going. Everybody tells me how they have much so much fun with it, and though it got kind of crazy supposedly at the end, uh, when you got higher levels uh, with a hand blast, you could shoot down a spaceship or something like that. I don't know if they're exaggerating or not because I never played the system. But Star Wars was obviously a big, a big fad or big, you know, it was a big deal when I was a kid. I think it's still a big deal. Well, but I'm saying it was like huge when I was a kid in, in 1977 when it came out. And then I was a little bit after that, I started playing D&D. So it was right around that period. And I'm not sure when D6 came out, but, but anyway. It doesn't matter because you had space opera, yes. which you guys love. Right. That is that is true. And uh, anyway, so yeah, when we when we get together, you know, we, we will play any kind of game and it doesn't matter if it's country or not. But uh, what I thought was funny is that is that the Morgan goes, well, it wasn't that bad, I guess. And then my brother goes, well, once you play it two or three times, it just becomes second nature. And that's a very that's a very Felipe saying. <laughs> yes. And then Morgan goes and we were playing on roll 20. Right. And so they have a roll They have a roll 20 sheet. For Zweilander, and we just used it for Flames of Freedom, which is a, a role-playing game about Revolutionary War time period, and the war is going on, obviously, and as, of course, there's some sinister, supernatural thing going on. I can I liken it to uh, Sleepy Hollow. Yes, that TV show, which we never did quite finish watching, but it was, it, we liked it. It was. It was. It was they changed the day on us, which yeah, they keep, always yeah, messes us up. Always messes us up. So. When we when we got together, we were playing this game, and Morgan did notice that it was crunchy. But he, at the very end, he thought it was too crunchy. But then he said, "Well, he thought it would be very difficult to play it in real life, you know, with dice and you rolling dice." He goes, "Because well, he goes, well, as long as we have the electronic sheet that rolls for you, it's you don't perfect. have to, yeah, you don't have to crunch the numbers." Which was funny because, you know, I never thought of that. I never thought about people preferring a crunchy system being handled by electronic means. So in this case. We were it does make it easier versus when we played, when we've played um, space opera, where I have to look at somebody and go, which I know I'm rolling percentile dice, but I don't know if I'm rolling high or low on this on this one or how what I need to roll. Just tell me. Exactly, and so I think that that exactly was what Morgan was thinking is that he wouldn't mind playing this game as long as there was an electronic character sheet in front of him that made all the dice rolls. Well, because you have all these charts. Like for really crunchy games, right? Like space opera, right? There's the, oh, the yeah. not only do you have to roll to hit, then you have to roll to see where you hit, and then you know what happened, right? Those kind of things. Yeah. So if this if this game was like that, then wasn't that bad? Wasn't yeah, that bad? Not quite that crunchy. <laughs> That's, yeah, space well, opera. I thought it was a really cool game when you ran it, and I would have been interested in playing with Bay, but I couldn't. Right. So, but um, but the. The crunchier it is, the harder it is for me to buy into it. No, it's just it makes it. It's uh, just another hurdle to play. It's it's it makes it less role play and more simulation for battle, right? Right. So let's talk about the simulation and versus the the storyteller game. So you're right. On one side, I would put D and D definitely, mm-hmm. the, especially third edition and Pathfinder. They're definitely on that side of the spectrum. Even but there's some other games. Space Opera is also that side. Uh, Twilight two two thousand. What about what about Traveler? That's a uh, different genre. A different. Uh, yeah, I think it's a that one falls animal. a little bit more in the middle because it doesn't. I don't think it tries to be simulationist. It just tries to. Well, it's about space travel, right. so it's kind of yeah, it's kind of funny. 
and then on the other side, you have games that are like, well, White Wolf was considered a storyteller game. In fact, that's what they called it. It was called the, what is it? The company itself was Storyteller Games or something. I don't know who, I forget. But anyway, well, they're the ones that started calling the the GM the storyteller, right? And so their idea was that they were telling shared stories and, and they got away from all these counting of squares to move pieces around and and they were gearing toward people telling the story around the table and not let the rules get too much into the in the way of it and then you know they they used vampire there was a great push to run larps and vampire larps were like a big deal in the i guess it was in the 90s mid late 90s and early 2000s but I never, I've talked about it before, I never got into vampire. I was just like, ooh, why would you want to play a vampire? You know, they're, they're like bad anyway. people. I don't have that experience. And a lot of people do. A lot of people my age or a little bit younger have that uh, that period of time when they used to dress as vampires and play. And so they play those games and they have that experience. I don't have that experience that much. And so when I play now games that are more story-based, I really like them. I really think they're pretty neat. So you have that spectrum. You have that real simulationist, and you have that. And as a GM, you like what usually you tend to like one or the other. Though depending on me, I like simulation games when it when it deals with like games that deal with a lot of combat. For like like for example, Twilight Two Thousand. I wouldn't mind playing a game, playing a game, running a game is a little bit more difficult. But playing a game where you're counting bullets and you're counting how many cans of food you have and how much distance you have to go to go to your next supply base or something like that. That to me is kind of interesting, post-apocalyptic scarcity type of stuff. But a lot of people aren't that they aren't that way. So, as a GM, you have this style, you have this this style, this style that you want to play in, and I think what what I, what the whole point of this uh, episode is is finding what style you really are as a GM. Well, and not then, only that, but you got to remember as a GM, whatever your style is, you need to make sure that your players are happy or not necessarily that, happy, but enjoying themselves. And right? that is, as somebody says, that is the crux of the biscuit, right? So that is the big deal. So when you have uh, as a GM, when you have an, an, uh, an idea to run a game as a GM, sometimes you have to approach your players or you know, who your players are and say, hey, I want to run this game. And they're like, uh, I don't know about that. Can we just play D&D? And, you know, and that's a problem because what happens is if the GM isn't, isn't like uh, what happy running the games that the players want, then you're going to not, you're going to suck. The GM is going to suffer. So I think players have to understand that the GM has, is a player in the game too. And if he's not happy running the game, then your game may not be as fun as it should be. So as a GM, you gotta find players that you gotta find players that want to play the games that you want to play, that you want to run, and I, I think that sometimes that's difficult, especially if you're if you're in a group and you've been playing for a, 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 quite a while, and as a GM you're kind of like, well, you know, I'm getting kind of tired of fifth edition, or I want to try something new, but the players are like they're not interested in Tales from the Loop, they're not interested in playing kids in the '80s or playing a game where you don't count steps and. You don't count how many squares you you have and how many actions you have left before you can swing your axe again. So I think uh, you have to decide whether you want to keep running for those people or find another group or have somebody else in the group 
try. You should always do that. Pick up the mental. I think you're right. I think when people are playing, people are GMing. You know, you're you're GMing whatever game that you like at the time. You know, and I'm not saying that you know once you go simulationist, you're always a simulationist. No, no. Or once you go, because you uh, can be your GM style can be for set to whatever game it is, right? Right. Well, even even the game I ran, Flames of Freedom, it, it's kind of a crunchy game. I didn't run it like a crunchy game, and I do like the crunchiness of it, but I didn't feel like I wanted to do that. As a one-shot. As a one-shot one and, and with a little bit t- limited time that I have in in the four hours that we have playing. So I go, well, let's just hit the ground running, and let's just run it. I run it like a loosey-goosey kind of a... So that's the more like a improvisation. Imp- Improvisational or a sandbox kind of right. kind of thing. You don't you don't like the idea of a sandbox. It's funny because I love the idea of a sandbox as a GM because I think I think that would be wonderful for players. But I you know you keep saying that you would you wouldn't like that that kind of game or you you would want a quest given to you or not given to you but you would like something to do or a or a mission or something and then give me an occupation or i shall go bad yes exactly some pride and prejudice whatever that is from <laughs> but sense and sensibility sense and sensibility sorry I, I get my jane austen novels mixed up you are right that when you are uh when you want to play a game you don't want to like flounder and figure out what to do because you know sometimes that's difficult right you get five people together and they're like they have five different ideas of where they want to where they want to go and what they want to do unless you have a real strong leader in the group who likes to take charge they're going, okay there's one, always one there's, well no, sometimes, not, not, there not, sometimes no no so i think that unless there's somebody like that a sandbox games can flounder i think it, t- it takes time getting used to as a player to play the sandbox game but as a gm that that's a really tough game to run because there's nothing could only plan ahead of time so much depending on what the characters players there's different there's a difference between a sandbox between playing in a sandbox and allowing your players to have player agency i mean you don't just have to go okay what are you going to do today (laughs) and then someone says i want to sit on this bar stool in this inn and well there's that yes and um, someone else wants to find something to do versus you walk into this or you're walking down a road. What are you doing? There's a difference, right, between you, you've given them a setting or a, right. or or something without just telling them to come up with it all on well, their own. Well, they can react to stuff that happens, though, yeah. too. That, I think that would probably be it. So as a GM, when you're looking at, at that, kind of, uh, that kind of situation, you have to make sure that your players are, are into that kind of game the simulation is game is almost easier to run right because it's this is the situation and you guys have to react to it and then there it is it's like mission impossible where they hand you the envelope and this is your mission if you choose to accept it right or in the military right you're running the military game and here's your orders here's your orders (laughs) go 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 go, you know go take uh go take this hill or take this to the commander of this tank battalion or whatever whatever it doesn't really matter what the mission is. I use that term loosely. Yes. It does as long as like like what was Bay's game that you played in yesterday? All you had to do was get Mary from her house to the port. Right. You would think that would be easy. <laughs> 
but I I assuming that it wasn't. Well, there was some certain forces allied against us. So I mean, it, all you need is a is a spark, right, to figure out what you're doing, and you know, this is your mission is is a little bit easier than okay, what are we doing today, guys? <laughs> I'd be sitting there going, okay, one of you better have an idea because I don't know where we are. <laughs> okay, yeah, you're right, and I think uh, as a GM, you have to be prepared for that that those kind of situations where players who are not used to that kind of freedom if you want to use that term may flounder they may just not know what to do and like you said you need an occupation sometimes players want something to do and then from there you can branch off you know the sandbox can really yeah you don't open up. You, the, so so the sandbox to me that the idea when i when because we've talked about it before and i'm like yeah. going I don't you this guy creates a world he drops the players off and he goes explore and I'd be going um what are we exploring and why <laughs> I need a, I need I need to know well I think a, but that's uh, me right a lot of people want to do they've been playing D&D for so long they just want to be able to do whatever they want right in the world right and then there's a game called a a game that takes that sandboxes forbidden lands and it is it comes in a box set and it has a map, and it has it comes with stickers that you can put on this map, and it has like ruins and stuff. It's not just you're dropping people off in this town that, you know, I forget. I don't. I've I've never played, and I don't have the rules. But you start in a village, and there's something has happened, so there's not a lot of contact with other villages and stuff. And it's kind of like a you're you're coming out of a dark age kind of thing. So there's all kinds of ruins and stuff like that around your little village or town. And but there's points of interest that you give clues to your players that they could go and do stuff. So you're not just saying, okay, you're in town. Is this town's been existing for like a thousand years? And what are you, what are you gonna, gonna do? do? <laughs> right? It's like uh, if was, you have to have some kind of background. Before. It's like Edmonds Fields, right? Or yeah. Edmonds Fields from uh, Robert the Jordan time, right? Yeah. Robert Jordan. If you just started the, that game. Instead of the Trollocs busting in and uh, some festival night, you're just like, okay, uh, there's a festival. What are you guys going to do? Oh, I'm going to dance with Marianne. Okay, that's cool. It's going to be a great time. Uh, wh- what else, now what are you going to do? Everybody's like looking at each other. Well, I, I'm a farm man, and I'm a carpenter, and I'm a blacksmith. Uh, I guess we continue doing those things, right? No, that's not the way the story starts, and that's not what happens. Is These monsters bust into this village, and, and then the the kids have to escape and run away because some magic lady says, let's go. The sandbox usually has to have something that kicks the characters in the butt to move. So other things that I like to, to talk about is as a GM, your GM style, you, sh- you, ha- you should match your style, what you want to play with your players. And your players may or may not want to play that way or may not want to play that game. And then you're stuck, right? I would suggest either finding a new group now since hardly anybody can play face to face, you're playing online. It's easy to find a group online. I don't think you necessarily have to find a new group. You could find another group to play that with. Right. Yeah. You're, you're right. not. You're not saying you're the way you say it is find a new group. Like you know, just discard those people <laughs> you've been playing with for twenty years. And... Well, not discard. No, no. You know, or just, or just. I hate to say it, but as a GM, you kind of have to sell. Oh, you have to sell the game to them. Sell yeah. the game to people, and I, I've done this. For years, right? Space Opera was my first sell, right? You guys want to play play a space game? No. 
uh, why do we want to play Space Guy? And we just started watching the, uh, recently. Star Wars is still coming out. I believe 1981 was Empire Strikes Back. So Space Opera was kind of like a, a cool thing. To, it wasn't a hard sell. You know, space traveling, the space fighting was seemed pretty like a pretty cool thing to do. The hard sell was the the rules, right? I had to make these characters or had to make had to make them make characters. And I think they didn't make the characters. I think I made them all, except for maybe Felipe. I don't remember now. Felipe would like to make his own character, I'm sure, because <laughs> you wouldn't do it the right way. <laughs> but you have to sell them on the game, and you you could do that with your current players, and, and some players may not want to. And that's uh, okay. And that is okay. It is okay. I think some players feel like they want they have to play in every game that that the their GM or or that their group plays in, but. I think if some game doesn't really interest a player, they should just like sit out. For example, I don't want to play the One Ring. Oh, I know. That's so bad. And, and it really, really bothers it, these people. Yes. I don't know why it bothers them, but... It's such uh, a good, cool game. That's why. You're missing out on great adventures. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, we, so it should be okay for me to sit out, right? Yes. Yeah, see, you just said it. So see, there you go. I just want to know why. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know why. So th- that is an interesting. That's interesting. Jolene loves the Lord of the Rings. We watched the movie. Well, we haven't watched it in a while, but I've we watch We watch it once every three, s- four months. Marillion. Yes. And me, Bay, and our, the rest of the we've been playing the One Ring for a couple of years now, off and on, trading uh, GM duties between me and Bay. And it exactly that is the game I love to play and I love to run. Uh, Bay, I believe he likes he likes running anything. I think that guy he'll run a game at the drop of a hat. When we get together and play that game, we really have a lot of fun. Jolene is a late addition to our group, even though she says she's not in the group. She just plays every once in a while. But she started playing with us because we lost a few people who moved to Oregon, namely my brother, oh, and Honda and and Jason. So when we were playing face to face, we we lost them, and then we were just like it was just. Three players, I guess. Four players. Anyway. Anyway, so Jolene started playing with us in physical person, in physical, in, uh, physically, because we <laughs> all get together. And then when we when we went online, uh, she just kept playing with us, and that's cool. But she mysteriously didn't want to make a character on, on the One Ring, and then like that, you know, I there kept- was no mystery about it. I said I don't want to play this game to him, but he didn't want to tell anybody else that. Well, now they all know if they listen to our podcast. So she doesn't want to play the one ring. That's fine. And I think that's a good, good idea because as a GM, you, let's say you, you want to run the run, one ring and there's a certain style and, and way that you want to run it. And if a player is not interested, they might really mess up that vibe. They might mess up the... You could just tell when somebody's not, not having fun or is not liking what's going on. And I applaud Jolene for, for telling me not she doesn't want to play in that game, even though... It's a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get her to play that game, damn it. <laughs> but I think it's important as a GM to understand what style you're going for and to relate that information to your players. Well, I would I would like to think no GM is stuck in a certain type of genre or a certain in a certain part of that scale from simulationist to to total st- storytelling. I I think as a GM, me personally, I I run the gamut from sort of almost simulationist to sort of almost pure storyteller, depending on the game. I, I don't think play. you, you are the only <laughs> pure storytelling game that I've been in has been the one with the Lindworm. What's it called? The one that we played. Oh, something about like, camp. Yeah. 
And that was total storytelling because we made it up as we went. Yeah. And and you didn't particularly like all of that. Uh, yeah, I was having difficulty trying to figure. Yeah, I, I, but I had to do with, I don't know what it had to do with. and The I, genre, probably. The genre, I'm not into like horror, you know, horror sleep away camp. And I thought it was thing. hilarious. <laughs> I don't know why you thought it was hilarious. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why I didn't like that. I think if it was a different different uh, setting of the game, uh, I think I might have been a little bit more uh, excited about it. And I didn't, and I, it was it was a storytelling game, but there was all these rules, right? All these, yes, these, and and we were and Bay and Morgan figured out the rules. Yes, I, it is storytelling, but within a parameters, right? Right. I think the same thing can happen with uh, for okay. So for example, I want to say I want to for simulation games we and I want to talk a little bit about that spectrum. So we have you know D and D, Twilight two thousand, and those games, and on the other side we have games like. Uh, vampire and some people might put fate on a storytelling game but the problem i have with fate is that there's a lot of rules and i and when there i there can run, be rules in storytelling yeah but there's a lot of rules you know especially with the whole yeah, the yeah. tagging of aspects and building aspects aspects and making aspects which i when i run that system i never use i hardly yes use we them, know we right? know i wouldn't mind that more pure storytelling game but to me storytelling games on an extreme level is almost like like a telling this like improv to but improv problem, storytelling you, you you have that in your head that as the ideal but yes. in actuality storytelling games have to have a lot of rules so that when you're sitting around the circle passing the talking stick that's what i want yes <laughs> there's rules about what happens okay you're right and so that's what i'm talking about jolene i was gonna use that <laughs> that example is the talking stick that only the person who can talk is is holding the talking stick, but there are rules, right? You cannot, you cannot summarily, uh, what uh, change or 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 well, it depends. Erase what was previously you said. You could, and though there's some game that you can do that if you don't like the way you can add something in to to take that away. But the only problem with with a game like that, a pure storytelling game, is you you need to have an X card. You need to talk oh. to the people about what you're gonna what's gonna be permissible and not permissible because even certain images like when we were playing the game with the lindworm i can't remember the name of the game gate getaway getaway can't, i don't know anyway um you you want to know like i don't want to hear about the dead children right okay so i i and i i even we were because we we're playing on zoom i'm like making an x going no 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 <laughs> and which everybody realizes is an x card right and that's that so you stop there because I don't really need all the gory details, right? <laughs> Things you don't want to know, right? Well, that's just it. That's yeah. the problem with storytelling games. Not a problem, but that's the that's why there's lots of rules with those kind well, of games. Well, the problem with that game was is that it was this freaking game about kids at sleepaway camp and they were all gonna die, right? And then it was like you were already not happy or in, very interested in the in the game because you knew that this was part of the game and you don't want to deal with that you know there's there's that you know there's many people who oh i don't want i don't want torture right i don't want the killing of pets because i'm very fond of my dog you know i don't want uh, women and children being hurt or children being hurt right and we've all you know we all have or our, women or someone well, well, <laughs> or <know>. men <laughs> whatever <laughs> what are we doing here we should go play another game 
So we, a lot of people have those kind of reservations, right? And I understand, and I totally understand that. But then here we are playing this sleepaway camp where we're all we're we're camp counselors and we're trying to help little kids survive. And they were teenagers; they weren't little. Well, no, no, the we were the teenagers, weren't we? We were a little older than teenagers. I was oh. the youngest one at the eighteen. Oh, okay. Okay, well, it just, yeah, it was a bad game for you to play because if you didn't want little kids to get... But it was also, it was fun to play because I took that and I went, oh, I'm not dealing with the kids. This has to do with the counselors and the fact that there's monsters out there. And it was easy to to take it, not take it too seriously with Morgan and Shannon playing because they were doing crazy crap. Oh, that's true. They were being really weird. (laughs) So that makes it, it's like playing Call of Cthulhu I always thought it would kind of be scary, but playing with Morgan and Shannon makes it a lot easier because they have, you know, it's just, they've done it so many times and they, they really like that kind of style that, that the horror and, and I find it interesting to see what people consider to be that you have to roll your sanity for. Right. Because, um, you know, Shannon says if you see something that's odd or (laughs) someone gets shot, you need to roll your sanity. And to me, I'm thinking, Okay, well, that shouldn't affect you too badly, right? Right, right. Because <laughs> you're you're in Cthulhu's world, but um, <laughs> but that's that's the whole thing, right? So so there's that kind of give and take of what is what what you're willing to storytell versus what the rules are and and right. what you're willing to to have in the game. Well, yeah, and then you're right, and and I think we have talked about X card and stuff and and those kind of rules and i think ultimately no matter what you know between the gm and the players it has to be this trust and i don't think that probably is that that discussion doesn't usually happen a lot with groups because oh yeah we already know you know what what tom doesn't like and or whatever and sometimes people don't voice what they what freaks them out because they don't want it used against them except for me well I mean, I mean, most people. So we have those. Well, 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 <laughs> we got sidetracked on that conversation. Storytelling. Storytelling. So uh, you're right. I want a storytelling game. No, I don't want this talking stick storytelling game. We know the, years ago somebody gave us a uh, a card game where they just show you pictures and you're supposed to build a, a story out of it. That has never hit the table. It's called a fairy tale or something. I don't know, but, but we looked at it. It looks pretty. And we, but no, and we, and we tried it, but. I don't know if we Between just weren't. Me, Saul, Stephen, Kathy, it wasn't happening. It was, we just weren't creative enough or something. I, and, we just couldn't get into it. Yeah, and it just didn't work. So that kind of Cause, storytelling. Because some of us take things really literally, and Steve and I were looking at the pictures, taking them literally. So that kind of storytelling doesn't work. The whole idea with, with us telling stories around a campfire with a talking stick. Okay, to me, that's not a role playing game. But pretty damn close to that is how I run certain games. Like. Like, for example, Fate. Fate doesn't have numbers. It just has descriptions of stuff. I love that. Ac- I love that. A- oh, they call them aspects, but I love that aspect, aspect of, of the, the game. game right. Uh, and so I omit, uh, omit all this, like, tagging of aspects and stuff. And some people are like, well, that's not uh, that's not uh, Fate. You're not playing Fate right. I go, well, you're right. I'm not. It's my version of yes. it. And I, and I usually say that at the beginning of the game. That, you know what? I don't. Uh, I call it a fake game because I, that's the rules that I was based it on. But when I run it, I don't run it purely as fake core, because I was running Dresden Files and I didn't like the. So Saul's gone files. way off of our topic. Well, no, I was still talking about I know GM and style and how one GM 
me does it one way can can be on the spectrum and play a simulationist game can play D and D run D and D can run space opera and at the same time run uh, a fate a loosey goosey fate at that core game and Tales from the Loop for example right and Tales from the Loop is this game that doesn't have this action economy you know you just do things and and it's super simple for me to explain. It also has rules, though. Oh, everything has rules. So, but it's more lo- on the on the on the less rule side, and uh, and I think and then as long as your group is happy with the game that you're running, I think that's good. Then and your th- GM style is good. And then and and, and as long as as a GM you're running games that you want to run, I think that's even. That is even better for a GM because what you don't want is a GM continually running for a, uh, running a game for a group of players only because that group of players doesn't want to change their game, right? Because that that's leads to GM burnout, and you don't want that to happen. There you go. I think that we've talked this subject <laughs> around a bend, but that's okay. This is Gaming Perspectives with Saul. Angeline. You have a good day.